Put it on the tee. I didn't know I, what you were going to do. I, I was unprepared. Swing, so. Hello. <laughs> so the podcast starts with, I didn't know what you were going to do. <laughs> Which is pretty much how That's we started accurate. a lot of things, right? So. Hi, everyone. Is this dark or is it just your computer? It's not your computer. Anyway. Hmm. Facebook. But I don't just, think it usually looks as dark on Facebook when it posts as it does when we're... Facebook's a little more so, moody. What do I, I know? I don't know anything. You can see my gray hair more on YouTube. I'm letting my well, hair go. I'm letting my hair go gray. Me too. Mm. I'm letting mine go clear. Like Larry. <laughs> Larry's not white. He's clear. Been, anyway. Been getting a lot of uh, YouTube shorts on Larry Bird and the bad man that he that he was. So. Did you see that there's a movie coming out with um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and it's about... Um, Nike. How it's it like hunting? No. no. Okay. How about them apples? Um, it's about Nike, the start of Nike, and how. I, and I didn't know this that Nike was like a flopping company until they released the Air Jordan. I do remember hearing that. Yeah. But I, it's about that. I remember that as a kid. I didn't know anything about Nike right. until the Air Jordan. And they kind of took a gamble on Michael Jordan because he was kind of an unknown at the time, I guess. And they backed. He's less unknown now. Yeah. So I guess Michael Jordan is. He kind of owns the world and. So many ways. Michael Jordan is to, I guess, maybe success. For sure, yeah. That's it. it yeah. There, anyway. There's when it comes to endorsements to and stuff. There's Michael, and then there's everybody else. Right. Peyton Manning is somewhere, uh, you know, at, a long way after Michael. He's the nationwide. But guy. he is definitely the the goat of commercial. He's the Tom Brady of commercials and endorsements. So. I don't know if we can use that anymore. But uh, <clears throat> so anyhow, Tom Brady's on some island now, just chilling out. If you're Tom ruined, Brady, you can ruined get his you marriage, want, right? ruined so. his family. It's all awesome. anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but I do know what goes on in the podcast. And in the podcast, do you? <laughs> and in the podcast, because I don't have the time. We. <laughs> We are so focused, mm -hmm. laser focused, yeah. That um, I have, don't know where I was going with that. So, Something about quarreling. Yeah. So let's fight. But the reality is that <laughs> this podcast is not just about uh, pop Great. culture or football. There is a game this week, I think, if I'm not mistaken. It I'm seems rooting like, for the Eagles. Seems like there's a game on Sunday. Who are you rooting for? Uh, I'm, I'm also rooting for the food. I am rooting for the uh, the queso and chips that that we have. For right. you know, that's the nice the, thing about Super Bowl is as much as I love the game, I love football. There's a lot of food, and I'm a big fan of food. Same. So, um, but the guy on the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, the brothers, the Kelseys. Yeah, yeah. the guy on the Eagles has a better beard, so I'm rooting for that team. Okay, and. Uh, Probably, I'm assuming they both have an equally foul mouth, but I've heard probably a lot, heard a lot more foulness from Jason than I have from Travis. But is Travis the beard good? Bar beard Travis it plays for the Chiefs, and oh. Jason plays for the Eagles. Sorry, I'm so sure we're going to have a better beard. No, they're it is what it is. That's they're, what I basically. They're both they're both about the best there is at what they do, hmm. which reminds me of Wolverine, and that's you know, that's a Marvel reference, not a DC which reference. I don't get. But, so let's talk about what we're supposed to talk about. Are, are you quarreling with me? Do we have strife between us? I don't know if there's ever been strife but, between us. But I do have water, so there's that. There you go. Is it water or strife? <laughs> so it's, it's three oaks water, so it might be. <laughs> as we've been uh, as we've been working through this um, series in the book of Numbers in the wilderness, we come to this place where uh, 
the, the children of Israel have come full circle, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we fast forward 38 years. Uh, we're in Numbers chapter 20, and we're looking at the first 13 verses. And in Numbers 20, um, they've, they've already been wandering in the wilderness, and they're back to the, the, the door of the promised land, if you will, um, back to Kadesh. And when they get back to Kadesh, whether it's the same spot or nearby or whatever, when they get back to this place, uh, we see some of the same patterns that, that we saw in their parents. So, so we're, you know, we've had 40 years of wandering or uh, 39, and we've got another year or so to, to finish this uh, entrance. But they're back here, and we see an, a, an event take place that essentially already happened in the book of Exodus. When they left Egypt, uh, they, you know, God does all these wonderful, miraculous signs to convince Pharaoh to let them go, lets them go. Pharaoh, uh, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart and he chooses to pursue them and chase them down. The Lord delivers them as they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? You know, God, God's not watching out for us. And God says, we're going to open up the Red Sea. Uh, Moses, hold your staff out. The waters will part. The waters do part. And the, the people cross over and Egyptian army chases them uh, into the into the Red Sea, into this dry path that's coming through there. The Lord closes the water over them. No more Pharaoh's arm. You've seen Prince of Egypt. So if not, you should. But uh, they get on the other side and, oh, no, what are we going to do? God's not watching out for us. And so God's providing manna for them to eat. They don't have food. He, uh, you know, But they're, they're like, oh, we don't have water. I wonder if God's big enough to handle our problems. Boy, they just remind me so much of us today. You know, every time, yeah. every time we worry, I heard somebody say this recently, and it, it, it's so right. Every time we we worry, I think it was a meme actually. Uh, well, we're essentially saying that that we're afraid God's going to get it wrong. Right. Like God's God can't handle what's coming up here. He, he doesn't know uh, the situation, or He's not going to handle it right. That's the nature of our of our worry. And, and so that's what they do. They get they get out um, out of Egypt. Everything that they've prayed for is happening, but there's no water. So now they're quarreling and they're testing the Lord, or the, the Lord is testing them through it. And uh, and and the Lord says, Moses, take your staff, strike the rock. Water is going to flow from this. Now, uh, presumably, we're not talking about a stone that's lying there, but more of a, perhaps a rock foundation right. or a formation and. You know, there's a lot of different uh, um, types of rock formations. Not like just a random rock yeah. on the ground, right? And, and you're not talking about a, a you know a little water fountain. They said mm-hmm. they do, you're talking about a you know a million people or two so million like people by as, as we're going through this. Lots of people, right? And you're feeding their lives, you're watering their livestock with it. So it's yeah, it's a gushing, flowing flood of of water that uh, provides life and satisfaction for them and foreshadows. Christ, our rock, who provides living water for us in, in his Holy Spirit, which proceeds from him. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 10 um, makes that connection for us. So Paul, in the first 13 verses of 2 Corinthians 10, takes a warning and also a, a typological connection. It's that, that our forefathers, speaking of Israel, uh, were all baptized into Moses. They were, they were immersed and identified in Moses uh, in the cloud and in the, and in the, uh, the Red Sea. 
And they all drank from the same spiritual rock, which was Christ who, who accompanied them. And so we see that connection in that picture. And we and our memory verse came from the idea that we'll see here carried out in Moses' life uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Uh, if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Mm -hmm. that, that idea that uh, no matter who you are, no matter how well you're doing, if we don't stay vigilant, if we don't stay on our guard against the, the wiles of the devil, against the the draw of the flesh, then we're prone to stumble. We're prone to wander. We're prone to fall. And uh, we need to be on our guard. And so in this particular story, they come back to this place. Uh, in the Exodus story, they named the place uh, Meribah and Massah. Massah means testing. Meribah means quarreling or strife or contention. And so now they come, they've, they've wandered in the wilderness for these 38 years. And now they're, they're, getting ready to go back in. They come back to Kadesh. They have this same struggle. Oh no, there's no water. What are we going to do? Moses, why'd you bring us here? There's no figs and pomegranates and it, it's terrible. Well, because you're not in the promised land yet. And, you know, we've been wandering in this wilderness. Why didn't we die with our forefathers? They died in judgment. You will die for, you know, because sin brings death to all of us. But you, as the people of God's covenant, he's going to bring you into the promised land. You've spent this time wandering because of your sin. You're angry with Moses. You're angry with, uh, with God by extension. And so as you're, as you're quarreling and striving against God, you're saying, is God going to provide for us? There's, there's, you're, you're not even thinking about the provision of the Lord. So uh, in this grumbling against God and against Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron then fall face down before the Lord at the tent of meeting. And the Lord says, uh, take the staff, this staff which has always represented God's delegated authority to Moses and, and to Aaron. And, and I take it that this staff, there probably have been multiple staffs, but they represent uh, this authority. I, I take it that this is likely the, because they're taking it from the presence of the Lord, this mm -hmm. is probably Aaron's staff that budded mm -hmm. in the previous story. So, it might not be, but the, the principle is still the same. From the presence of the Lord, you're taking the staff that represents the authority. And he says, Moses, take the staff, gather the people, go over to this rock, speak to the rock. Back in Exodus, he said, strike the rock. Now he says, speak to the rock, and uh, water will flow, right? It will give up its water. So does as he's told, takes the staff, gathers the people. But instead of doing what God says and speaking to the rock, he speaks to the people. And he says, you know, you stinking rebels, what's in my paraphrase, uh, you know, how long are we going to have to put up with you? Do we need to bring water from this rock for you? And Moses gets a little too familiar and forgets who's God and who's God's delegated leader. Mm -hmm. And rather than doing exactly what God said, Moses of everybody should know, right. you know, that Moses and Aaron are the ones who know better than everybody else. They're the appointed leaders. Moses, the leader, Aaron, the priest. And they've, Aaron's already lost two sons to not following the instructions of the Lord to the letter, mm -hmm. right? His, his two oldest sons brought strange fire. They were authorized to bring fire for the offering. They did it in an unauthorized time, in an unauthorized way, and God struck them dead. So Aaron knows this intimately. Moses has been a part of this. They both were participants in, in God. Uh, 
judging and, and pouring out his wrath on those who thought they had another way. They could do it their way instead of what God had, had ordained. So Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, as God told him, rebukes the people, speaks to them, and then he takes the staff and he strikes the rock. And he doesn't just strike it once, he strikes it twice. And as he does this, in God's benevolence, and his mercy, God still, instead of just saying, that's not what I told you, no water for you, no soup for you, you know, God, God instead still causes the water to flow. All the people, all the livestock drink from this water. So God, in his mercy, is still taking care of his covenant people. His covenant promises are, are always valid in the context in which he gives them. So they don't apply to anybody outside of the covenant. But, but as God gives this promise to them, he's not looking at how can I hold back? If you don't do this, mm -hmm. so it's important to follow God's commands to the to the to the absolute letter. But God, in His mercy, still cares for His children. So He brings the water that He it was Him bringing it in the first place. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Aaron. But He holds them accountable, and He says to them that Moses and Aaron are together in this. Even though Moses is the focal point, he's the he's the guy, but Aaron's right there with him through it, and He doesn't reject them as priest and, and leader, but he does hold them accountable. He says, because you failed to trust me enough to believe in me, to honor me as holy before the people, to, to make my holiness known implicitly by obeying to the letter, you thought you could fudge this a little bit, or you didn't think to think, right? You, you forgot yourself. You became too familiar and you got confused about who's God and who's not. Because you didn't honor me as holy before these people, you're not going to get to take them into the promised land. I'm not rejecting you as leader, but you don't get to see the, the fruition. You don't get to see this come to its final place. And he lets Moses look into the land. When he dies, he takes them up on the mountain. He gets to see it. He gets to look into it. But he doesn't get to finish the job. He doesn't get to lead them. Uh, Aaron will die later in this chapter. In fact, chapter 20 is kind of bookended by the death of Miriam at the beginning, uh, which it gets stated and, and kind of passed over. And then Aaron at the end, which we'll see uh, as a, a major point within the, the chapter here. But it's bookended with death in mm -hmm. the midst of this. And there's life in the rock, but there's death for all of us because of sin. Mm -hmm. And the death of Miriam and Aaron at this point is because they don't get to go into the promised land because, mm. because of sin. So that whole generation was going in, presumably because this curse comes upon them, this judgment comes upon them in this chapter, presumably Moses and Aaron were going to you right. know, be the exception, just like Caleb and Joshua, the exception to this generation that falls. But now they're not. Mm. Caleb and Joshua still go in. And it's not that Caleb and Joshua are without sin or anybody is without sin, but... Moses and Aaron specifically had the task of showing God as holy. And they failed in that, which is a pretty big deal for the leader to fail, right? And, and so God points out to them, you don't get to do this because you failed to show me as holy. And then the closing paragraph of the chapter um, says this, these are the waters of striving, the waters of, of quarreling, uh, the, the waters of Meribah where God showed himself holy. 
So they failed to show him holy, but God didn't fail to show himself holy. And he does that through holding them accountable for their sin. And at the same time, still giving mercy and care to his covenant people, which is kind of encouraging to me, knowing how often I blow it. And yet God still shows me mercy. He still takes care. I can get things wrong and God still gets it, gets it right. He always does. And so as we saw the, the core reality of, of this particular story, um, we worded it this way. When, when the Lord's servant fails, the Lord's purpose does not. So Moses blows it and, and Aaron blows it too. They're, they're together in this. And there's a consequence for that. But God doesn't waver in his purpose. He's doing what he's said he's going to do straight along. And, and we see that carried out in them. We see that carried out in the story of the whole book, right? Because the, the core reality of the whole book is that our unfaithful choices have consequences, but the Lord remains faithful to his promises. When, when the Lord makes a covenant with his people, that's going to happen. I mean, he, he doesn't fail in that. And we, I think that's a pretty significant thing for us to recognize ourselves because we see leaders fail and fall so often. And so many people that, um, you know, that we each know personally, uh, that, you, you know, see this whole deconstructing movement because some sinner sinned, mm -hmm. you know, because, because imperfect people did imperfect things, because leaders are hypocrites or liars or, or, or whatever else. We reject Christ. We reject the church. We reject organized religion or formal religion. Uh, so, so now, you know, I'm spiritual, but I don't really, you know, I'm not going to really follow the church. I'm not going to really listen, to, uh, submit to authority. I'm, I, you know, the Bible, maybe I take it or leave it and so on and so forth. Um, and this is a, a clear message to us that that's not how this works. You know, God's purpose is carried out through his leaders and also sometimes in spite of his leaders. Sure. And what God's doing through the covenant with the people of Israel doesn't fail just because the leader fails. That's it, kind of a big deal. Would it not be safe to say, though, that probably every single person... There's our new whistle. Um, that every single person Small town with in that body, as you just said, sinned at some point. Sure, absolutely. So was it just because Moses and Aaron and, and Aaron's sons, everybody had specific tasks and things they should and should not do. Sure. And if everybody failed, but then everybody else, you know, let's say the majority of people still got from that generation still got to go into the promised land even though they were sinners. Well, I think even a more clear parallel is here we get back to Kadesh here and the the generation that's going to go in falls prey to some of the same attitudes mm -hmm. of their parents who right. don't get to go in. Right. So the and God was merciful with their parents and, and gave them multiple times and in fact this generation is tested me ten times, right? And so they they get to in, back in chapter what was it, fourteen? Um, <clears throat> they get to the promised land. They see the promised land. They send spies into the promised land. They're ready to go in and God's going to take them across the Jordan. And instead they say, oh, no, that we're not doing this. There's giants and stuff. And that was, that was a bridge too far, mm -hmm. right? 
So God was merciful and patient with them. And there were consequences along the way for their choices. Sure. But that was, if you will, the straw that broke the camel's back. So at that point, God says, this generation doesn't get to go in. Their children will go in. Their children get back here and they have the same attitude. Right. Now, did they sin along the way? Of course, because we're human and we all sin along the way. And there's not much told us. We, we get this, this divine fast forward, mm -hmm. right? So we go from, you're going into the wilderness, a couple of scenes that are um, anachronistic. They're, they're, they're not part of a, of a timeline to give us a picture of what's going on, what God's doing, the attitudes, how he's dealing with it, and so on. Uh, and th so they happen somewhere in this whole story, but we're not given a lot of details as far as when. There's nothing worth telling, if I can mm -hmm. say it that way, that goes on during the wilderness wanderings. Okay. But what presumably is happening and should be happening is and is happening imperfectly is the parents who will die in the wilderness are passing on the faith mm -hmm. to their children who will go into the promised land. Right. They're telling the stories. This is when this happened and God judged us and, and so on. Here's what happened in Exodus. There, you know, But did it happen well and completely? Apparently not. Right. You know, it, it, and at the same time, we also see that even if you do everything right, and as a parent, you know this, is that, you know, I lament this every day. <laughs> and my children now lament this in their own children. You can do everything right as a parent. None of us do. But it, even if you do, your children make their own decisions. They've got their own brains. They're going to do their own thing. And they have their own sin nature from birth. They're, they're not a clean slate. They have their sin nature. And they're going to have to deal with God directly. God deals with his people both corporately and individually. So he deals with us as a family. He deals with each of us as individual members of that family. He deals with us as a church, as individual members of the church, as the church at large, globally, throughout time and history, and individually as well. We, there is no, God has no grandchildren. I, I, I'm a child of God by my faith, not by my parents' faith, not by some religious ritual, not because I belong to the right church, or I listen to the right podcast. I, that doesn't get me in with God. Right. However, he does deal with us corporately. He deals with Israel as a nation. He deals with the church as a whole, with societies and with nations and peoples. Um, it, it's a both and. He does both of these things. So here, the children are doing similar things to what the parents are doing. Right. But God still lets them come in. Why? Well, one answer that, that we can see is they haven't filled that up the way their parents did. They haven't tested them 10 times, at least not as far as is recording. Um, but ultimately, it's a matter of God's sovereignty. He's made the promise. He's going to keep the promise. Why does he let these go in? You know, that's, that's on his side of the curtain. He gets to decide that. But what we see is that all sin has consequences. All unfaithful decisions have consequences, but they're not always the same consequences. All sin has the same cost. The wages of sin is death. All of us die. It's appointed to man once to die, all of us, and then to face the judgment. But within, not all sin has the same consequences. A speeding ticket is not the same as murder, right? That And, and we recognize that. That's not hard for us to figure out. So the idea that has been uh, foisted upon us that all sin is the same, that's not quite true. All sin separates us from God. So, you know, the tiniest drop if, if from our perspective of, of sin ruins the whole thing. 
right. poisons the, the entire uh, sea. But that doesn't mean that all of the consequences temporally are the same. Sure. Teachers have a higher standard because it's your job, right? Just like the, you know, the oldest child is responsible for the siblings a lot of the time and is held accountable. Even if the siblings do something dumb, the oldest child who's put in charge has to answer for that. Now, that doesn't mean the young. that you're bitter. I'm not actually. I, I think that's how it's designed. <laughs> I'm the youngest child, so I have nothing that, to say. Well, and, and you guys were far enough apart that yeah. it probably didn't matter a lot of the time. Uh, so you were almost an only child, and, and your sister was almost an only child. Almost. Um, but as we, and Emma's almost an only child, right. you know, because she's got like a million years between her right. and her sibling. But as as we're, you know, seeing all these things, when James says, not many of you should presume to teach, don't, don't be too quick to take this upon yourself, in other words. It's not that teaching is bad. It's that when you teach, God holds you to a higher standard. You're judged more harshly mm -hmm. because you are presuming to tell others the way. But if you're not living the way, there's, there's a higher accountability. Well, and I think that's, we were talking about it earlier, that's one of the reasons that we're seeing a lot of this deconstruction in the church is because of quote unquote leaders yeah. that are doing it wrong. And and yeah. so people, but the, the issue is that people will follow these leaders or listen to what they have to say and something gets broken in the mix. And then people think that's Jesus. Yeah. And that ain't it. <laughs> and, and that's one of the reasons it's important for leaders to be held to a higher standard. Uh, we do that here in the church as well. We, we we differentiate between the expectations of overseers and those in leadership and those who are in membership. And there's a difference between those who are in membership and in a covenant relationship with the church where, where we are committed together and those who attend, those who right. are part of, of the greater extended family, but not part of the household by a covenant of, of commitment. So is that what you would say? We only got a couple minutes left here. But is that what you would say Moses in this situation, you know, they're so close to yeah. going in and then he does this when, you know, we see Moses as, you know, the Charlton Heston and, right. and whatever as this quote unquote perfect guy yeah. that does everything the Lord wants and he makes this mistake. And well, and he's been so patient with the right, people right. when when God's ready to destroy them and God and Moses intercedes right. for them. Um even when he's frustrated with them, right. he still right. stands up for so them. So Moses feasibly does everything as right as you can. And then at the very end here, he does this thing yeah. and doesn't get to go into the promised land. Is that because of the role that he carries? Yes, 100%. I think it's also important for us to recognize that that Moses, he doesn't abandon the call. Right. He stumbles. Right. He falls. That's different than not finishing sure. well. Um, and, and so there is a consequence for this, but again, notice God doesn't reject him sure. like he does with Saul. Mm. When, when Saul becomes king and, and uh, dishonors God, God rejects him as king. David sins, but doesn't get rejected as king. Why is that? Different kinds of sin, different kinds of rejection. And even David though quite a bit. you could, well, and you could, you know, you could make the case from a human perspective that David's sin was more egregious than right. Saul's. Saul offers the sacrifice that he's not supposed to be offering. It's not his job. David he's, commits adultery. Uh, it it sets up a murder right. to, to cover it up and so on, uh, it, along with numerous other sins. But there's a heart issue here. And, and Saul's faith clearly is in Saul and not in the Lord. Mm -hmm. David repents of his sin because his heart pursues God. So there, there's a difference there. 
Moses stumbles and fumbles and falls and, and, and blows it, but he doesn't abandon them. Mm-hmm. He's not, he hasn't, his, the pattern of his life is faithfulness. And there's a consequence to this, but it's not being. a fatal flaw. It's a flaw. Right. I mean, I guess technically it is because well, he's going to die. Right. But, but he was going to die either way. But right. You're just going to die out here right. instead of in there. Um, I think it speaks to Moses's humanness. And from an outside perspective yeah. of, of growing up with the mindset that, oh, Moses is just perfect. And he did this. I, I think this is. Yeah, there are no alabaster saints. Right. You know, the, I think this speaks to. He was frustrated. Yeah. He's been dealing with these people for 40 some years. You know, right. it's like they're not living in stained right. glass. Right. Everything is perfect. And, and I think that's where, you know, it, it's important for us to, to kind of take them off the shelf and mm-hmm. say, these are regular people like us, like <laughs> us. And God does that on purpose. Right. right? There, he does not, you know, hide the warts of, of the servants. But it, there's also a difference between those spiritual leaders that we see who are hypocrites we're all hypocrites to some extent, but those who have a lifestyle of being hypocrites, mm-hmm. who are preaching and teaching something they don't believe. Mm-hmm. When we teach error, that's going to end up, eventually false teaching ends up being false practice. We get bad doctrine, we get bad bad practice. But spiritual leaders who fail don't set out to fail. Moses right. doesn't start right. out to fail. It's not, it's not what he's looking for. Right. But there are also, and this is something to be aware of, there are those false leaders who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. And we get warnings about that throughout the scripture. That's not what we're seeing here. Right. But the, I think we have a hard time distinguishing in our minds the difference. And, and that causes us to fall apart. So keep, keep your guard up. Yeah, put your faith in, in the Lord, <laughs> right. not in the servant. Right. So understand what the Lord is doing through the servant. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, not uh, human leaders. Word. We'll stop there for today. Thank you guys for listening. I'm going to stop the recording here because we're going to run out of time, but you guys know how to contact us. <laughs>